Okay, Chapin, just you and me. First quickie we've done in a while. The old team. How are you? I feel like um, it, the A-team. I think that's uh, the how Jeremy refers to us. Does he? Yeah, he usually he usually calls us the A-team, and he calls himself the third wheel, which I think is weird, but... That's nice of his, him. His words. Um... Look, you know, we've we've been I don't want to say we've been lagging with the podcast because oh, it's yeah. up to us we how have. many we release. No, we're not obligated to release, you know, more than one podcast a a month. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Um is that our contract? That's a, it's well, you know, when we Palmer and Associates was working out something with us and we just kind of put put them off a little bit. But anyway, you know, in our defense, it's not like this has been a uh, real exciting movie year so far. Um, uh, uh, but, but otherwise we... a very exciting year. <laughs> yeah. Uh, we do have a couple th- a couple movies we'd like to talk about. And I also have sort of a uh, continuation of a topic that we have spent a lot of time on, which is kind of the streaming versus theater uh, debate, the theater versus streaming oh, world that. that we live in now. I and this. I, I kind of want to, I kind of want to revisit that, but um before we do that, let's go back to the first movie that I saw back in the theater post-pandemic, um, post-pandemic part one, I should say, and uh, a movie that you have now seen as well, The Quiet Place Part 2, A Quiet Place Part 2. Yeah. Um, l- let me tell you, I you know, we all kind of liked A Quiet Place, the original one, I think. I think that's probably true, but the, the podcast was very critical, as I recall. I do think that we would have liked to have seen it in the hands of a more seasoned director. If I remember, that was our biggest critique of John Krasinski. Um, You know, I felt like pretty similar with the second one. I felt like it was entertaining. It it satisfied my experience at the theater. But it's just not much more than that. And that's not necessarily a bad thing. Okay, and I agree with you. About the first movie, but the second movie, why make a second movie if you're not going to do anything different? It's a good question. Do you think they did anything different? I don't. I, I mean, I was sort of shocked by how the movie was so Basically similar. The same. It's so yeah. similar to the first movie. Yeah. They had, they um, had like three times as much money, evidently. Um, and it didn't look any better. Those Those... Those creatures, I guess, are created by ILM, and they look terrible. <laughs> it's a. I, I always, I always think it's funny, and I get annoyed, especially when actors say it. And you know who? You, I always hear it from, uh, from like Ethan Hawke, and is it Julie Depley? Is that who's in the Delpy? Before, yeah, J- Julie Delpy. When they're like, oh, you know, we just love doing these movies every ten years, and just like going back and seeing what these characters are up to. And I'm like, you are the characters. Like, you're not going to see what the fucking characters are up to. Right. And I know people love those movies. It's been a long time, long time since I've seen them. But, like, is that what A Quiet Place 2 is? Let's see what these characters are up to. Because the whole thing was like, oh, this is supposed to be a little bit more about the the kids. And I will say that, like, by far the highlight of A Quiet Place 2 is Millicent Simmons' performance. Yes. Yes, I she's think she's good. extraordinary in it. And, but... I guess it's a little bit more about the kids. On the flip side, uh, Noah Jupe is kind of bad. He's really bad. And 
it's about them. So yeah, it's like, okay, like let's see what they're up to after John Krasinski dies in the first one. But like, I don't know who cares. I wasn't that invested in these people. It was a cool horror movie that was kind of clever in terms of its concept, but I'm not so invested in this family that I need to see what happens to them next. Sure. And look, I think, I think that's, what's frustrating for me is that I think Krasinski is really good at the moment to moment stuff. Like he builds tension very well. I mean, and I saw, I said this is the first, the first time, the first movie. Like, I think there are like hints of early classic Shyamalan, you know, like he, Mm -hmm. he takes this very like classical kind of classy take on the, on, on filming things. And I, I, I'm, I'm on board. I love the way he directs things minute to minute, but he chose to write this film without the help of the co-writers who initially came Mm -hmm. up with the idea and you know the movie doesn't really go anywhere it doesn't it doesn't tell us anything new um and you know if you want to make this movie because it's to make some money that's fine i mean there are worse movies that have been made for that reason but i don't know it's it's frustrating to see someone who can handle the minute to minute stuff so well but but sort of not get the long term aspect of it yeah I I 100% agree. I I think that's why this movie is fun to watch, but it's ultimately not a great movie. But you're enjoying those minute to minute scenes, like I that set that they built that you spend sort of an, a majority of time in. Um, you know, Cillian Murphy's hideaway with all sure. the, you know, p- pipes and sewers and everything was really cool, and I think like really well utilized and like kind of a good idea for like a a setting for a horror movie. And that stuff is really interesting. And I think when you're talking about like the, the moment by moment stuff, like it is very specific short parts of scenes. It's not even like moment by moment things like the discovery of, you know, what happened with uh, Cillian Murphy's wife. Like that stuff is just so inconsequential to this movie. You don't really care about him. You don't really care about his relationship with his family or with the main family. So in terms of this movie working moment by moment, it only really works in terms of like a horror movie moment by moment. There's some good scenes that have some tension and some scares. But yeah. beyond that, it's it's not a successful script. It's not a successful no. movie. And, they're, and they were shockingly like simple... Not simple. I'm sorry. They were they were shockingly similar to the first movie, and shockingly similar throughout the film. Like, you know, these things are. I think what what Krasinski did really nicely in the first film, and I don't know if it was part of the original script, is that these monsters are elusive, but they are ever present. So you feel them, much like you know Jaws. You mm-hmm. feel their presence even when they're not there. There's this sense that okay, yeah, if we make noise, these things are going to be here in two seconds. They're fast. And, you know, A Quiet Place 1 stopped, part 1, stopped working for me when you saw those poorly rendered monsters yeah, more and all more the time. and more. Yeah. And I think that has a shelf life. Like, you can, you can only use that part of it for so long. Like, they only made, well, Steven Spielberg only made one Jaws movie. You know, like, there's only right. so long you can do that. And then you've got to figure out a different way. So, like, I was half expecting, like, are they going to find the big bad boss alien or something? You know, like, <laughs> I, and, and I guess I'm sort yeah. of glad they didn't do that. But there has to be something that evolves from this. And 
and it didn't like there it was just they're, they're kind of doing the same thing they're more out in the open you see them more they they're it's and especially in this one they they are so like there's so much more easily uh leveraged for plot reasons like like they come and they like attack people but they don't ever they don't ever really get close to our main characters i mean they you know killian murphy gets hurt i guess but um yeah you know well, they, they they just like they, and 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 then you start to wonder well what are they doing here like why are they attacking people there's a the the monsters themselves have a shelf life but the the concept does also and there's a great scene in the first quiet place when Millicent Simmons is hiding out in a, a cornfield or something like that and the monster is coming up behind her and uh, she is deaf in this movie. If for people who don't know, uh, Millicent Simmons is actually deaf. She's been deaf since she was a young child, and it just makes her performance even uh, more impressive. But that's a great scene. You know, it just utilizes the concept well. It utilizes the uh, character's disability really well, and it creates some great tension. But there's a scene in this movie, in part two, when she's looking for some stuff on this abandoned train. And the same thing essentially happens. The The monster appears, we see it in the background, and she doesn't hear it. She doesn't know it's there. And that tension is there, sure, but we've seen this movie before. So again, it's not working quite as effectively. It's like you mentioned with just seeing the monsters in general. They have a shelf life. The gimmick, I guess, for lack of a better term, has a shelf life. And so none of that stuff works the same way. And this movie is intent on making Millicent Simmons' character more present more of a main character and we follow her on a journey that she goes on her own for a good portion of it and if we're just going to continue to see this deaf girl walk around where she can't hear the monsters coming that's just going to eventually not work sure yeah that's a good point and 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 it's the same they they defeat the aliens the same way they did in the last one with the hearing aid it's yeah, like the same but thing but just a bigger scale a bigger scale yeah um, but also set it up for a, a third movie. So did we'll they? see what happens. I think so, kind of. Like, they, they kind of did the same, like, you know, at the end of the first one, you see um, uh, Emily Blunt, who we haven't mentioned once in this podcast so far, Cocker shotgun, right. like, get ready, we're coming after you, which isn't actually really what happens. No. <laughs> they just keep running. Uh, and then in this one, they, like, you know, zoom in on Millicent Simmons and she like holds up her hearing aid or something like get ready. Now we're coming to the rest of the monsters or something. I yeah. feel like another one's coming and I don't know if Krasinski's smart, he'll, he'll sell off uh, his rights to that and move on to something else. Yeah. And it's interesting that, you know, he, he, they tried to do something like he, they did a kind of road, the road, Cormac McCarthy's the road, yeah, thing with those marauders who uh, attack them oh, and then yeah, nothing yeah, yeah. happens with them. Yeah, they know. just all jump in the water and yeah. get away. Great. <laughs> um, okay, so I, w- I want to move before we get our into our discussion about the theaters. Um, it doesn't seem like we're going to get necessarily a full pod in uh, with the three of us on the green night, but um, well, maybe. This, we might, but I'm gonna I'm gonna reveal my cards now on the quickie here. Um, first, like legitimate fixie contender of the year. Wow, for sh- for sure, fantastic movie. 
great performance by Dev Patel. Very, very interesting and unique direction from David Lowry and just absolutely stunning cinematography. Hmm. Um, this movie has a ton going for it. Um, really interesting script. You know, it's like, you know, if I could compare it to something, it's like it's got some like Game of Thrones to it. It has some Guillermo del Toro, you know, fantastical elements, very nicely woven together. Um, but it's like it, it's directed like very few movies I've ever seen. I can't wait till you guys see this movie. Like some of the stuff he does with the way his camera moves, with his editing, with his lighting, all sorts of cool stuff that it would be sometimes seems jarring, but is so clearly intentional that you're just like enamored by it. Um, and it's just like a really interesting tale. Like it's so clearly a, you know, a, a like an a Arthurian. How do you what is that? Is that what you call King Arthur stories? Arthurian yeah, tale, sure. like. Um, and like it has that kind of fantasy element to it, but it's so much also kind of set in reality at times, like just such a, such a brilliant movie. I thought I was so excited. Um, and yeah, just like gorgeous, stunning shots. I can't remember. I've never heard of the cinematographer of this movie. Yeah. He shot Um, all of other David Lowry's other stuff. He has. Okay. Um, which I've seen, uh, well, I've seen most of it. I should, I haven't seen the Pete's dragon, um, adaptation, but I saw his other movies and, I liked the ghost story. Ain't Them Body Saints was pretty forgettable, and I, I was pretty disappointed in Man with the Gun, but this this blows all those movies away. Um, Andrew Draws Palermo is the cinematographer, an absolutely stunning work. So, Well, I want to see it. We should still review it, especially after you say all that. Yeah, I mean, I would love for you guys to see it. I think I'd love to talk more about it, just because there is a lot to talk about with Lowry as a director, somebody we haven't really talked a ton about. Um, it's interesting who, because... Know, really setting himself apart here. I... Uh... I watched I watched a ghost story and I was just like hip, hypnotized by it. I didn't finish it, which is not a good endorsement for it. But it, it honestly had nothing to do with the movie. It's just like yeah, it's kind of it's kind of a super slow, slow movie, movie and yeah. so it's easy to disconnect from it. But I was really, it's a super slow, meditative, thought provoking movie. You know, this movie is nothing like that. It's much more you know structured in terms of its narrative. Um, a ghost story for people who don't know is is really just. Uh, has Casey Affleck and Rooney Mara in it and Casey Affleck they're married Casey Affleck dies and he just basically wear dresses as a ghost and you see the movie is kind of seen through his perspective watching what happens with Rooney Mara and it actually covers years and years and years like decades even as he sees what happens to the house they live in and he kind of just travels around and it's just like a very interesting unique look on time and you know, what happens after we die and things like that. And it's it's a very meditative type of movie that you can tell is like a director kind of showcasing his, I don't know, what would you call it, his style, not just his style, but his, you know, his shtick, I guess, is not, sounds a bit worse, but yeah. Um, here you kind of see just like an amazing talent at work with the Green Knight. Um, a lot of great performances. Dev, pa- Dev Patel, of course, in the lead role is fantastic. Um, but some, you know, some supporting performances. Alicia Vikander is really good. Sean Harris is good. Joel Edgerton, really small um, uh, cameo from Barry Keonan, who you guys know I love. Um, and he's fantastic, of course. And so, Ralph Innocent plays the Green Knight. <laughs> I know, which you, you would never know, but... Yeah, Finchie is in it, which, of course, we get excited about. So, yeah, I mean, put this on the top of your list. Um, Everybody put this on the top of your list, and maybe we'll do a full pod about it. Um, 
But this was the third movie that I have seen in the theater, Chapin. Okay. Um, the other one was Pig. And oh, I'm that sorry. Was one can I can I ask you, is Dev Patel good in this? He's fantastic. Okay. Really, really good in it. Yep. And I like him, but I, this is the first time I've been like, oh yeah, this is a, a, a for real actor. Um. So, Pig. I, I also saw Pig in the theater. We had talked about Wait, doing we're, a pod we're, on that. We're gonna do a pod on that. Okay, we still may, but I, where I want to lead with this is, um, it's also streaming. It's it, you can rent it for six ninety nine, the in theater rental, so not too expensive. Uh, and I hadn't realized that, and I went to see it in the theater. And Pig is like definitely a movie that is appropriate for streaming. Yeah. Now. I had two options when I went to see Pig, and it was that and Old. And you and I, Chapin, both kind of want to see Old, despite the reviews. That's M. Night Shyamalan's new movie. Well, and Famously, you and I will see any M. Night Shyamalan movie. That's true. For any price in any movie. <laughs> that's a good point. Um, so where I'm going with this is, you know, I had these two choices, Old or Pig. And Pig had the better reviews. I was like, well, I, I probably have time to go see one movie this week. Pig's filmed, so I, in, filmed in Oregon, you know, so... Yeah, it's about Chapin, um, you know, and that kind of goes in recluse into the the woods of Oregon and then is uh, forced to go back and confront his past in Portland. Classic. Um, Anyway, I don't want to get too much into that movie in case we pot about it, Uh, but I had that choice to make, and I chose Pig based on the reviews and the fact that I may not be able to get back to the theater again that week. And then when I realized that that was also streaming, I I wish I had chosen Old and saw that in the theater and streamed Pig. And I think it it leads me to this question about beyond what we've talked about in terms of like how is the streaming and the releasing movies on HBO at the same time as in theaters, how is that going to impact theaters? How is that going to impact things? I want to get to the question now is putting thing, giving options, putting them in theaters and on streaming – is that good for movies and good for audiences? Because they can figure out a way, I think, eventually to monetize those things appropriately by utilizing all platforms. And people are more likely to see more movies in general if they have those options. I would have watched Pig on s- streaming and I would have seen Old in the theater. Mm. Instead, I've only seen one of those movies. Right. Had I realized I had that option, I would have seen two. And I just think I almost watched the Suicide Squad tonight because it's on HBO. Like I would never watch that movie. Sure, even though it's also so, pretty good. That's what I said. Yeah, but I was just like, well, I got nothing else to watch. Maybe I'll watch it. And I just am wondering if, like, if they can figure out the finances of this. Obviously, it's they make a lot more money in the theater than they do with streaming. But if they figure something out, which we've hinted at, the idea of, like. This could be very beneficial, I think, and could be good for movies. Well, it's interesting you bring that up because there's there was a lot of noise. I think mostly last week, um, but it still stuck around. And maybe just because it's slow entertainment news about Scarlett Johansson suing Disney yeah. for fifty million dollars because they decided to release Black Widow on Disney Plus. I forget Premium something. Yeah, Disney Plus Premium. Whatever it is. So you have to you you know you have to have Disney Plus, and then you pay an additional fee for for Black Widow, and that I don't think that's gone over very well for Disney. I mean, I don't know. Like, I know I don't think Mulan did very well, which is the first film. Yeah, but um, uh, Black Widow I think did do decently well on 
on Disney Plus, and now they have um, what else is what uh, Jungle Cruise is also available right. to do that. So it's interesting because um, you know when Scarlett Johansson signed on to do this probably four years ago, you, right? She, these these actors, especially someone like her who you know hasn't really gotten like huge paydays, although I think she was paid pretty well for the event, the last Avengers movie, but. Um, you know, like this is kind of like your, her 401k, right? Like, like this is the last time she's probably going to play this character and she, they sign these deals where they get a percentage of the gross and it's a, it's a first dollar, meaning like it doesn't matter if Disney recoups their money, uh, from the, you know, the, if you buy a ticket, doesn't matter. a, A small portion of it is going to Scarlett Johansson. And so this is how people make like hundreds of millions of dollars yeah. from from a single movie role um maybe not quite that much but you know what but I'm yeah, saying. a lot yeah. yeah it's way more than their salary and so somehow they didn't figure it out how to negotiate that with scarlett johansson and um she's suing them because she's lost the uh, claims to have lost a lot of money from that decision so i'm I, sure she has yeah yeah I mean, I'm, I, I'm sure she has i it's i mean it's clear that people aren't going to movies as much as they did two years ago, for example, but right. So I don't, you know, who knows, but, um, I mean, ultimately I think I, I, what I thought, what I first thought of when you mentioned this just now in your question is that I think people now are more, hopefully more comfortable paying. I think it was six ninety nine to rent pig, mm-hmm. yeah. which for a movie like pig is great. Like would that movie get a theatrical release under normal circumstances? I don't know. I don't think so. I don't, right. I don't know. And so, I think that aspect of it is great. Like we're more comfortable, you know, as, as we've had to be, uh, the, I, I, I mean, I think I've always been willing to rent movies that that hasn't been a problem for me, but I think people who aren't like us are more comfortable spending that kind of money to rent a movie at home. And I think that's great. I, I mean, I do think I was thinking this the other day that when a movie comes out on Netflix, it, it, it just isn't as exciting as it coming out in theaters. Um, I don't know why it's easier for me well, to watch, you know, like why not? But when I, I, I don't think Netflix, like, you know, as we've discussed advertises their movies in the same way as a theatrical release does. Um, well, they don't even advertise them the same way that like HBO does or yeah, even that's true. To, and maybe in the middle somewhere is Amazon, but um, Netflix is so oversaturated. Like, that's why, like, I don't even know what movies are on Netflix anymore. It's like the last platform I look at when I'm going to decide what movie to watch at night. Like, I go to HBO first, then I'll check Prime. You know, Disney is not, usually there's not a lot of new stuff going on there, so you usually know what it's going to be. But, um, you know, HBO has made, has been smart, regardless of what your thoughts are on their releasing day and day on the platform and in theaters, they've been smart about making sure that people know that they can watch it there and that they can watch it there for a limited time. And I think that that's really helped. And I, I, that's why I was going to end up watching the suicide squad because I was scrolling through something. I I wasn't even, my TV wasn't even on and it said suicide squad is in theaters and available on HBO max. And they just do a good job of making sure people know it. Netflix isn't the same come Oscar time when they, you know, they've got the Manx and the Irishman or whatever it is. They're a little bit more vocal about those movies coming out, but even once they do, they just stick them on the the header. You know, it's not a it's not a big uh, it's not a big launch. Yeah, 
Um, yeah, that's it's very interesting. And I, I, like we talked about Dune. Um, that's a movie I really want to see in theaters. We all agreed on that. Um, you know, will we go to theaters? I don't know. I'd like to see that in a theater, but like I said, like I I wasn't blown away by it wasn't like, oh, I'm back in the movie theater for Black Widow yeah. and I'm blown away by how right. could it how did I live without this? Um I was quite annoyed actually by some things, even though it was a pretty <laughs> fairly uh innocuous screening. But there there is something lost, I think, in the and I feel like a hypocrite saying this because I know I've been advocating throughout the pandemic that people release their movies in theaters, but are in on on streaming platforms. But I think you had a great point, which was like people can make like y- you can do it on a movie by movie basis. I think yeah. no sudden move is a perfect movie to release on streaming. Yep. You know, like I don't know, would people go see that in in theaters and? It's interesting, like, and and I think people are going to have to figure out the economics of it specifically. Obviously, like they haven't done that with someone like Scarlett Johansson because somehow she thinks her contract has been violated, you know. And yeah. and I don't it, know. It's interesting, but but I think it's better for. I do think it's better for us. And I think anytime, and I hate to say it this way because, and I don't mean it, but anytime we're willing to plunk down money. I mean, the public is willing to plunk down money in a different format, in a different place. It's it's good for movies because right. there's this been this devaluing of of content recently, and just because there's so much available, like you said, like a Netflix movie every week, and um, I think people, even if it's just from the comfort of your home, paying some money and 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 you know when when that kind of thing happens there is still opportunity for, you know, the artists to make money. Um, as we know, like, based on the success of the film, as we know, Netflix buy, has to buy out um, all the contracts when they... Because they always know. They know they're, gonna, they're not going to theatrically release their movies. Or, or, they, if, or if they do, they're going to four-wall it, as I've explained before. So they have to buy out... You know, they had to buy Leo out for everything he would make for Don't Look Up, for example, right? Yep. So, you know, there's 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 not a lot of incentive for the movie to do well because it doesn't that doesn't yeah. mean the same thing, right? So it's and you know it's interesting the stuff that is so like six ninety nine for Pig on on Amazon Prime for their in theater rental, but then of course you know the new Fast and the Furious movie you can also rent, but that's twenty dollars and. You know, that makes sense to me, except that who's going to pay $20? I, I don't think I'm paying $20. I don't like to pay $20 to rent. That's a way more of an obstacle for me than six ninety nine to rent a movie that's fitted for streaming. So, like, those are the areas I'm like, they haven't quite figured this out yet. Like, how to make the streaming releases of new movies work in a way that they're appealing for people to utilize that platform. Like... You know, I have I never really have any interest in the Purge movies, except that I'm always kind of interested in the Purge movies. But I'm not going to pay pay $20 to rent it, and I'm not going to go to the theater and see it. But those are kind of bigger movies that a lot of people do see. So what do they do to get me to rent that movie on streaming? Because I'll do, I would do it if it was six ninety nine. I would have done it one of these nights that I didn't have anything to watch. Sure, for sure. and it's been it's been, those have all been available free to do just that. 
if you want to. Right, but for 20 bucks, which I'm not going to No, no, do. no, but I mean, like, if you didn't, in the past, if you didn't see the first Purge movie, you could rent it on iTunes. Oh, yep, exactly, yeah. yep. Yeah, so I'm curious, like, how to make, how they make that work and how they figure that out. Is You know, is it just af- after a certain amount of time, the price gets a little cheaper? Is it, like, second-run streaming or yeah. something? Um, maybe, and it's going to get there, I think. You know, smarter people with dealing with this than you and I are going to figure out how to make this as profitable as possible. Well, we know they listen to this, so I don't. Are they smarter? Well, that's true. They have gotten a lot of ideas ideas from from us us so far. I did just come up with the second run streaming idea, so after a few weeks, it gets a little cheaper. Oh yeah, I mean, I think isn't that our that's not in place already? Uh, Well, probably within the last couple minutes. Yeah, Um, watch F nine or whatever it's called be available for like two bucks at the end of the. Um, as soon as we wrap. What I think is interesting is that, it, uh, so I think I told you guys this, but there's this guy, I think he's the president of AMC or something, who does like a state of the industry speech every year. I don't know. I don't really pay attention to those things, but I just heard about it on a podcast or something. And he made some claim that product, film and TV production was up 400% from where it was a couple years before. And this was before the pandemic, but yeah, that doesn't surprise me four times. So there's four times as much work for someone like our friend, Jeremy. Right. Mm-hmm. So, which is why he's not here, with which is why he's not here with us. <laughs> um, but yeah, like that. And, and I think, you know, that has had positive effects for people. Like, I mean, they're making a lot of stuff in, in Boston, for example, for, you know, for Jeremy to work mm-hmm. on It's You know, it's not just something you can, that can be sustained in Los Angeles, for example. And, and, right. the, and the competitiveness of it means they need to go to places like Portland and places like Boston where there are tax incentives to do so. And, but I wonder how sustainable that's going to be. You know, like, are, are, are these companies going to be able to do this forever? I don't know. I mean, maybe, I, I, I don't know enough about the economics of it to predict that. But, you know, you've, as we've said on this podcast... Netflix is at this making uh, on this furious pace of making not only movies but TV shows, mm-hmm. um, and a lot of the other guys are trying to keep up. We know that. Um, and then on the other side of it, filmmakers like Martin Scorsese seem to be only able to get budgets of the scale that they need from these tech-based streaming companies who have an abundance of cash. And Scorsese needs three hundred million to make a movie now. I, and and that's what's strange. It's like, and like I said, like I I don't care what math you show me. There's just no way the Irishman was worth what it cost to Netflix. Whenever I see the the stills of uh, Killers of a Flower Moon and and Scorsese just is like standing pointing or whatever, and there's just like this massive massive set. I wonder. I'm like sitting there watching. I'm like, does he know how much money is being spent? around him like or is question. he just it's think he's question. on like on mean street still just directing yeah. he's and because <laughs> you can see it's like it's like when they ask politicians what a gallon of milk costs you know like yeah. in debates it's <laughs> yeah. like do you know what it costs to create this 20th <laughs> yeah. century street uh he's like five thousand six thousand dollars yeah. <laughs> yeah no he's like we're just gonna get some some period cars here and we're gonna you know and we're gonna roll the picture car down the street it's gonna be fine just just we'll, we'll fix it in post but you know, and and like, look, I don't, uh, I don't have, I'm not like, I'm not opposed. Like, giving Scorsese two hundred million dollars is like, that's a dream to me. Perfect, that's fantastic. Like, but 
I don't know that those kind of things are sustainable. I just like I I, I don't know. I I I don't have any idea about like I said the the economics of these things. Like it, even even within the um the sort of the the new kind of environment that we're in in these streaming services where something like um Queen's Gambit is like this huge cultural moment and obviously hugely successful like do, does Netflix sit there and be like well this cost us 50 million dollars and now we're spending four times that for a little movie well that no one that people, is, that 20 that 80 percent of the people who watched it didn't get through the first hour of well that's my point I was that's what I was gonna say I was like they've figured out a way that they can spend a ton of money on a movie and a little bit of money on a TV show make a ton of money in the you know net right maybe win an oscar and nobody watched that movie <laughs> like they could they figured out a way to do it because they make their money based on you've pointed this out just on minutes so like you know or they or they i guess they calculate how they're doing based on minutes and so if a ton of people watch their show that didn't cost them a ton of money, like the Queen's Gambit, and they get subscribers because of the buzz surrounding that, and then spend all that money on a $200 million Scorsese movie and win an Oscar, which then gets them more subscribers. Well, they didn't win an Oscar. I'm just I'm speculating. If they were to win an Oscar for like Killers of a Flower Moon or something, right? Like, Or even get nominated. doesn't matter. Now they've they've made a ton of money and got a bunch of subscribers because of a movie they spent a bunch of money on that nobody really watched. Like I, I think that that's incredible that that is something that exists and that they can manage to do. It's the complete opposite of what theaters right. have to do. But but no, but you're but okay. Sorry, but but um, the Irishman has something to do with them making money or making subscribers. Well, that's exactly that's my point. My point is that they they make so much money from all the content they produce, the expensive content and the inexpensive content. Well, no, they don't. They it, don't make any money from it. They make money from subscribers. Right, but but the what draws subscribers are things like you know whether it's the Queen's Gambit or, or reruns of The Office when that was there or whatever it is. They can make enough money there to finance a Scorsese movie like The Irishman or Kills or Flower Moon. Which is Apple, by the way, I should say. Oh, that's right. Yeah. So the Irishman, they can finance that movie, try to win an try to win an Oscar, get nominated for Oscars, which could potentially gather more subscribers. But it ultimately doesn't matter to them if anybody actually watches the movie. Well, I think it. I, I don't know that we know that. But it, from the way I understand how that works, I mean, they pro- obviously want people to. Because that means more people on their platform okay, for a long sure. period of time. Sure. And I always go back to but, like H- the HBO model here, right? Which is that, you know, you you pay the big bucks for The Sopranos and then you can have little shows like, I don't know, whatever, whatever. Curb little your show. enthusiasm. Or but, I, yeah. but I think Curb is a, is, a, is, is a big hit for them because they just keep making them. Yeah, that's true. Um, and I guess the thing is, is that shows like Nathan for you. Right. Sure. And when they make and when they make little movies like they aren't they don't cost what those movies cost. Right. But I'm thinking that Netflix is kind of like the opposite of that. 
is that the things that they spend less money on that are successful, these mm. like nonsensical reality TV shows or like these ridiculous like movie of the weeks that somehow end up in their top 10. Sure, but... but That when, they don't spend any money on that draw in all these subscribers and all these viewings and all these eyeballs finance these huge movies. Okay, but but wouldn't you, if you were head of Netflix, wouldn't you say, let's make four Queen's Gambits instead of one Irishman? Yes, if I wasn't trying to win an Oscar, which is which they really want to do. Right. Well, and, and the way they see how to do that is to give the best directors the amount of money they want. Yeah, which is maybe. not a bad move. <laughs> I mean, it seems like that's the, a good way to do it. But Okay. Well, to be continued, this is obviously an evolving situation. We're going to continue to monitor. We'll continue to offer our recommendations to the studios. Um, but until then, I recommend everybody go see The Green Knight. Uh, and we're going we're gonna to get content to you on our terms. We're going to release podcasts when we're ready. Have you heard, have you heard complaints? Ready. I have not heard one complaint, which makes me feel good about not doing them, but feel bad about our general mm. state of the podcast. No, yeah, look, no we always have we always have lags at some point during the summer. It's usually towards the end of the summer. Um, it's been a busy summer for all of us, an eventful summer for all of us. So, and it has not been an eventful summer for movies. So, I mean, you know, we've got we've got a a very busy fall coming with everything that's coming out so we'll have our plates full yeah all right until then bye folks oh god this is like a full podcast